Hello and welcome to this new episode of Recast, the podcast from Remit Consulting. I'm Kat Lewis and I'm joined by Emily Bates and Andrew Barber, aka Paddy, and we will be updating you on the latest remark and return figures, discussing the importance of research. We will also be joined by Andrew Waller to talk to us about our late colleague, Bob Thompson, who was a key player in the birth of Remark and remained a dear friend to Remit throughout his career. To close, we also have a bonus interview for you from when Paddy was off on a jolly at Mipim the other week. He spoke to a Remit partner and leader of the Dutch branch, Hans Gerritsen, about his experience of the conference while sipping some rosé beside the sea. It's tough for some. Respective international work trips. Hi, Kat. Um, thank you very much. I didn't know you'd been away though, Emily. Yeah, so I've actually just got back from Paris, um, had a week um, out there for workshops. It was a really great week. We worked really well with the client and also got to do some lovely little touristy bits as well. So good all round. While you're away, of course, Emily, it was the big news in the property industry was the end of the moratorium on evictions for non-payment of rent, um, which has been preventing landlords from enforcing um, their rent payment clauses by eviction for uh, almost two years, I believe. Yeah, it's two years since first lockdown. So it is it's two years since that became a reality for many landlords up and down the country. Before we jump into some remark and return updates, though, we recently received the sad news of the passing of Bob Thompson, our former director of research here at Remit, and the real godfather of Remark itself. He was a proper giant of research in the property industry, and in tribute to him, I'd like to welcome our managing partner, Andrew Waller, back onto the podcast to share some stories of Bob. So, Andrew, thank you for joining us. Some sad times at the moment um, with Bob's passing recently, but we thought we would look at the sort of brighter side of Bob and our memories of him and wondered whether you have any favourite stories about Bob that you would like to tell us? Probably too many actually. Uh, Bob was a great person to be with and uh, I guess I knew him for the best part of 20 years. He'd left uh, King Sturge and uh, I met him actually when he was working with Anthony Summers on some what would now be called prop tech ideas. He started working with us about, uh, I guess, short short time after that, uh, shortly after Remit uh, came into existence. And uh, he worked as our um, director of research. And uh, the lovely thing about Bob was that you would go to him and you'd have too many questions in your head and he would just listen patiently. And then he would add a couple of facts only he knew about and then make you laugh about it. And you'd go away thinking uh, an awful lot better about stuff. And uh, it all seems so much simpler. He had an amazing ability to just get research and research ideas and have facts at his fingertips. Uh, it wasn't just industrial and logistics, his favourite topic, but um, almost anything. It's interesting you mentioned his uh, association with PropTech. So I saw Paul Norman, who's the editor of CoStar the other week, and uh, he covered the story of, of Bob's passing. And he was explaining to one of his colleagues that Bob was sort of into prop tech before prop tech was even a thing. And he said that 
he had a great understanding of the role that technology would play before most people even had a mobile phone. People forget that he wasn't um, just an expert in industrial logistics, which of course made his thing, and he really did know about that. Um, he started the Connectivity Index back in the last century and ran that at King Sturge, and that was something which people didn't quite understand. You know, what does connectivity go to with buildings? But he developed this, and I think he wrote a book to accompany one of the courses he did at Reading, which was all about the building being um, a box full of technology. And that was way ahead. I mean, obviously, we've been thinking about this for, um, for the market has picked this up in the last few years. But um, the way that all buildings, you know, the important thing is connecting to other buildings and connecting to other people. And he had an index, you know, which he was rolling out for King Sturgeon in those days. I yeah. like the point as well that he he was so able to make really complex things very simple. One of the first ever events that I went to after I joined Remit was a talk by Bob about what he was expert in the the sheds and the industrial and logistics and last mile. And he explained how you know the ben- the pros and cons of having lots of little sheds across the country or one big shed at one point in the country. And it just made so much sense that if you've only got one big shed in Scotland, anyone who's not in Scotland can't get stuff quick. And it was literally as simple as that. And and everyone came away and that was really insightful. And I thought, but it was it was super simple. Um, And that was so much of his charm. He actually did that with a lot of things. And one of the things um, that he did, I think it was as his hobby, he developed a, a really technical spreadsheet and he used all of the mapping functionality within the spreadsheet. Most people don't even know that Excel has that mapping functionality. And he put the maps of Europe and, and, <clears throat> and the UK onto it. He also put all of the drive times from all of the ports and the airports and overlaid it with developments. And he could tell you where you put your logistics hub. You know, now, in five years' time, when there were different ports and different capacities. And this, as I say, was a hobby. He kept, up, kept, it, up, kept it up to date in his spare time. So when we did research projects with him on you know, what a logistics fund should be investing in, he could say, well, within 500 metres of that motorway junction is where you need to be. And, and the other thing that said that, Bob, was that uh, I, I don't think people realised how much work he did across the industry and how much he influenced them. There was a project we did where we had to advise a, a fund manager on a new fund, um, again, logistics. Um, and the newly appointed fund manager had come in from, I think it was Australian by that point, and he'd spent a month going around all the big agencies in London. Um, and he picked up a lot of research papers on logistics. And at this first meeting, he, the new fund manager proudly threw the, his uh, reports across the table to his Bob and me and started saying all of the things that he found in these reports he found interesting. And there was a pause after about 10 minutes, and Bob said, you may notice a certain similarity of tone of phrase in those reports. And it turned out that Bob had written all of them. <laughs> Absolute mic drop moment. Yeah. <laughs> and typical of Bob that he wouldn't say anything to <laughs> right at the end. Just let him roll on, just wait. Yeah, so Bob was well ahead of the conversation and uh, we carried on with the project and uh, didn't have to explain anything after that. <laughs> Fabulous. Now, I know one of the uh, things that we know Bob for best is the 
poking of dragons with sharp sticks. Could, could you elaborate on that story, Andrew, for those who, who don't know it? Bob had a wicked sense of humour generally, and uh, he got himself a reputation at King Sturge of being slightly misaligned with corporate culture um, because he was always sticking a little stick into crevices and just being just pointing out the things that people didn't really want to point out um, he was well loved and obviously well admired but he would do things like um, when he put forward a proposal to spend some money in research he would at the bottom of his paper which went to the exec um, say uh, my proposal as a proportion of nipping spend <laughs> um, so, um, although he did love Nippon as well, the um, this sort of developed. And as we were talking, I, I think working with with Remit gave him a little bit more chance to look at things which he thought should be automated or should be changed, or that some old-fashioned methods and traditional methods which need to be updated. And um, he came up with this idea that um, he was poking sleeping dragons because. There was always that risk that the dragon would turn around and flame somebody. But that sort of led quite a lot of our research initiatives. And the one that obviously um, is best known is the Remark Research Incident Collection. And I don't think anybody realised how important that would be 10 years further on. Again, Bob was ahead of his time. And, and the question that we came up with really early on was how much rent is being collected on the due date by property managers and investors? And the difficulty here was that they weren't collected on, collecting it on the due date. They were actually collecting it seven days after because that's what leases say. And that's an obvious point to poke a dragon that's sleeping gently. And we got all sorts of feedback from the market that we shouldn't be looking at this. We, sh we should just let people get on with it. Um, I know that sounds incredible, but there's an awful lot of defence of the status quo. But of course now, particularly with um, the pandemic over the last couple of years, and people not being able to pay, it affects valuations. And again, one of Bob's things that he really wanted to push was the antiquated way we look at valuations. And with the RSS updating its red book, Valuation Methodologies, and the report that's recently been, been undertaken into that, um, again, Bob was well ahead of his time. And things like the rent collection stats have influenced that, that thinking. I think that's a great tribute to Bob that he was, as you say, ahead of his time and... Um... The importance of, of Remark in particular over the last couple of years has been something that he'll be re remembered for, I'm sure. Okay, Andrew, thank you very much for your time. And uh, let's all raise a glass to Bob next time we have the chance. We thank are. you. So lovely to hear from Andrew about Bob Thompson and from Remark past and its genesis onto Remark present. Paddy, what are the latest figures that you've got for us? Yeah, well, hot off the presses, and the figures follow the lifting of the government's moratorium on the eviction of commercial tenants following uh, COVID. But there's minimal change. Um, at the beginning of the March quarter, on March quarter day, 63% of rents were collected, and that's just a 0.3 of a percentage point rise compared to the December quarter day. So very little change. Um, at the end of the December quarter, 94% of all rents had been collected. And that's, again, very, very small uplift on the on the previous quarter. So not really the, the sea change that we're all expecting with the lifting of the moratorium. 
Um, it's really quite curious as to what's going to happen next. And I think it's almost anyone's guess. We'll just have to see how it unfolds in the next few weeks. Yeah, that's interesting because I uh, also want to talk a little bit about return. And I know that we were expecting, um, we've seen kind of steady uplift in return to office numbers, you know, one or two percentage points a week. And we were expecting a bit more this, these last few weeks and they just haven't, haven't materialised. In March, the figures were pretty steady. The first week of March, we had a couple of tube strikes in London, and that obviously had an impact on the overall figures. But over the last few weeks, the average for the national average has been around 25%. It got to 26%. It's dropped back to just under 25% last week. Um, in fairness, the national figures will have been impacted by some pretty low figures in Scotland, which is a lot of cases of COVID in, in Glasgow and Edinburgh. And so the figures there are lower than the national average. And that's obviously dragged it down slightly. But we haven't seen a big surge of, of people going back to the office. And I think, you know, hybrid working is a fact of life. And I think that's it's going to continue this way. We can see that Wednesdays are normally the busiest days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. Fridays are very quiet. Mondays are very quiet. That seems to be the pattern. So, um, but without being too, you know, Captain Doom and Gloom, energy prices are through the roof. Cost of living is up. Do we think that people are going to be less keen to go to the office because travel is more expensive? Or conversely, do we think they're going to be more keen to go to the office because it's heated and they don't have to pay for it? It's, it's a difficult question to answer. The reality is that, as you say, cost of living is going up across the board. So I guess for those people who can cycle to work, it may be an attractive proposition to go back. Those people like me who would have to jump on a train and, and travel for over an hour, uh, less appealing. Um, obviously, that's a lot more expensive than than heating the house for, for a couple of hours in the morning. So I, I, it's going to be horses for courses. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but I, I think we just have to wait and see what happens over the next few weeks and months. Well, I mean, to cheer things up a little bit, at least we are going to be tracking it. We are going to have the data. So we're going to be able to see how these things are affecting us going forward. So that's a that's a positive to take. And yeah, Kat, not only a positive, I think it's a really important point. Um, Remit recently had its internal associates meeting. Um, for those who don't know or have never um, come across them before, these are quarterly meetings that we hold with not only our core team, but also all of our kind of subject matter experts. We invite them to come along and we talk about something that is not only topical, but also quite important to Remit and its associates. Most recently, we spoke about research. Something that came out about it is we really do get a chance to map trends. One of our associates, Darren Yates, came and spoke about return. And a big question that came out about what he said was, how long is it actually going to take for this dust to settle? Everyone keeps talking about the new normal, but no one knows when it's actually going to be. And I realized that this is just throwing another question into the works without actually having any kind of answer to it. But at least now that we have some sort of mapped trend, it's things that we can base off many decisions. And a lot of companies are coming across debates as to office spaces. Again, recently, I was hosting a Just Talk session. It's uh, one of the first things that Remit's doing for corporate real estate. And one of the topics that we actually were discussing was how do you justify office spaces? And it came back to kind of corporate cultures and how to manage that in hybrid working. So yeah, I think data is really important. And even if we're not seeing the changes that we we're expecting it's really important to keep tracking it because it allows us to make the most informed decisions 
It's interesting that you say that because one of our speakers at the associates meeting that you mentioned, Hina Gadfi from Kushner Wakefield, mentioned that research used to be very much just the recording and that it's become more predictive recently because we have those tools to manipulate the data and we have enough data to be able to look at how it's how previous um, unforeseen economic events have affected things and to be able to predict a little bit more. But are we, though, because one of Hina's points was that in times of crisis, for example, the COVID pandemic, caution gets thrown to the wind. We have all these tools to predict in these kind of crises. And yet we don't always. I think there's a balance to be struck between reactive and forecasted behavior. And I don't think we can always necessarily know how we're going to behave. I think that matches with something that we said in but in the first podcast, which was that in times of real crisis and real change, real actual change comes out of it because people are forced to have a complete reconsider of how they work, how they think, how they do X, Y, and Z. I mean, we spoke about the number of of technology transformation projects, which have benefited enormously from the COVID-19 pandemic because they've had to, it's been forced upon them and they have really, you know, grown from that and thrived. Oh, I'm full full of bringing the positives back today. And I think we have to. It's definitely important. We have to look for positives, particularly in times when, well, now COVID cases are sort of rising again, albeit symptoms are a lot more mild, which I guess is a positive we can see from that. But it's important to look at what can we learn? What is a positive that we can take out of our learned experience over the last two years? And I think people are trying to find their feet, which we can see in the data. We saw it in our discussions um, last Tuesday in the associates meeting that people are finding their feet but people don't know when it's going to be and it's still uncertain but people are trying. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is something that we had Melanie Leach as a guest speaker as well and one of the things that she was saying was that she tries to make a list of I feel sorry I feel like I've, I've stolen um, Melanie's presentation here but she tries to make a list of the things that she doesn't know that she wishes she did know and that she thinks would make a real difference. Okay, then, Kat. So what are the things, or give us one thing that you would like to know that you don't know? Well, um, mine probably isn't very serious, but um, it's something that's been taking a lot of my mental space recently, um, which is the question of why why there isn't toothpaste in hotel rooms. Because they always have toiletries. Sometimes the really jazzy ones have all kinds of different types of toiletries. They never have blooming toothpaste. And that's the one thing that ruins your bag. It's a real problem if you forget it. And it's not there. First world problems. What about you, Emily? What's the Uh, things that you would like to know that you don't know? So mine is, I would love to speak languages. It's uh, jumping right back to a slightly more serious one than Kat. Sorry, Kat. Um, But... (laughs) I, yeah, I would love to speak languages. Um, I think, again, without sounding too much like the pandemic has taught us things, I think it has opened doors for communications across countries that wouldn't necessarily have been there before because it might have required a flight or a train, whereas now it's just a Teams call. But we rely too much on other people being able to speak our language. I think English has too long been the language of business, and I would love to have slightly more nuance by able to say oh, actually, no, um, if you want to conduct this meeting in French, I can. And I'm not at that point because my French is not good enough. Um, but speaking of, you know, international travel and things like that, um, I, I know that earlier in March, Paddy, you, you were off on a, bit of a, on a bit of a jolly to drink some rosé on the beach, were you not? 
I don't know if it's fair to describe my trip to Mipham as a bit of a jolly because this year it wasn't quite the same as it has been in years gone by. There was some drinking, there was some eating, don't get me wrong, but it didn't feel like Mipham of the past to me. Um, the, the numbers were definitely down and it was quieter, which is a good thing in some respects because you could be more focused and the, getting around was easier. But it definitely had a different feel to years gone by when you and I have been there. But I did take the chance to catch up with Hans Gerritsen from Remit Consulting in the Netherlands. And uh, yes, we sat on the beach and or just by the beach and we had a good chat. And um, and this is what he had to say. So this is a first for Remit Consulting's Recast podcast because it's the first one we've done face to face with a guest. And it's also the first one we've done um, in France, away from London. The noise in the background you can hear is actually the Mediterranean lapping the white sand of Cannes on the uh, Côte d'Azur. Um, and I'm joined by Hans Gerritsen from Remit Consulting in Holland. And Hans, it's great to see you after so long. Um, it's been three years, I think, since we actually met in the flesh. And um, here we are again at MIPIM. And I just wondered if you could give me your thoughts on how important MIPIM is to the industry and the value it brings. Well, thanks very much. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, the weather is picking up. It's becoming sunny as it should be. But um, it's great to be back after three years. Um, it's a um, very important event for the uh, property industry, I think, on a global basis. Um, what you see now is that uh, everybody's quite positive, despite the fact, of course, that. Uh, there's a war going on in Europe, but uh, uh, the rest of the countries are very uh, positive about the, uh, the outlook for the real estate industry. It's important to be here, uh, is to meet not only, uh, of course, your existing clients and your relationships, but also to see all kinds of trends. Of course, uh, ESG is one of the big ones, and there's quite a lot of companies now um, uh, demonstrating how they deal with ESG and there's all kinds of tools available uh, but also the, the whole digitization is, uh, is picking up there's uh, quite a big uh, number of pop tech companies <coughs> down in the basement of the Palette Festival and uh, I think the, the bus is really good and uh, it's, it's busy I just wondered Hans during the conversations you've been having over the last couple of days what is the reaction of the market to what is going on we can't ignore the fact that there is now war in Europe and I wondered whether you've picked up any thoughts and is it going to impact the investment market? Yeah, what I've picked up is uh, first of all uh, in the Palais de Festival there's a, a corridor, a, a hallway with all kinds of pictures of nice buildings in Ukraine and uh, the idea I think is to honour uh, the Ukraine versus uh, Russia. Russia is of course not here. Um, and what we see with investors is that um, investing in Eastern Europe or Central Europe will probably be slowed down by this uh, this war, and uh, the focus is now more on uh, on Western or continental Europe, you could say. But there's also some uh, optimists who say, well, hopefully this war will be over soon, and Ukraine will be still a, a free country. And then there's a lot of uh, construction and infrastructure activities uh, needed to build up the country again. And, uh, well, some investors say, well, there's enough money to, uh, to do so. 
and uh, private equity is ready to uh, to invest there again. So in balance, it's everybody's terrified by the idea that there's a war going on in Europe. But at the same time, uh, like most of property people. Uh, are quite opportunistic so I'm hoping hopefully this will uh, end rather sooner than later okay well thank you very much for your time today Hans it's, as I said been great to catch up and see you again and uh, look forward to doing this again in the future thanks and uh, yeah like I said uh, it's coming uh, two three days still quite a busy program there's a lot of uh, activity going on and uh, hopefully we'll uh, meet soon either here or in Holland or in Germany Thank you very much, Hans. Gosh, it's, it's lovely to hear from Hans, but I am feeling a little bit sore that I'm the only person on this podcast who's not been sent to France for work in the last month or so. Don't feel too sorry, Kat. <laughs> I, I've seen your Instagram pictures, Emily. I feel very sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, I've been outed. <laughs> Moving on. Your time to shine. It's that part again. <laughs> what have you got for us for the cliché? Well, I've kept it. it. Actually, I planned this before we recorded this episode, but it seems to fit in quite well um, because my cliche is about letting sleeping dogs lie or sleeping dragons lie and the importance of poking the dragons, um, which I know Andrew mentioned in his tribute to Bob, because uh, that's something that he kind of came up with in the phrase. Um, but basically, my my point on this is that while the, you know, the, the cliche advice is let sleeping dogs lie, don't, you know, don't. I'm going to bring in some more. Don't rattle cages if you don't need to. Hot but actually, cliches left, right and centre. I know, flying about. Um, but actually, it is really important as someone who runs a business or is in charge of a business or in charge of a department within a business to know what is going on. And if you don't wake up your sleeping dogs or poke your dragons or rattle your cages, nasty surprises happen. And you would much rather know that there's some discontent simmering or some issues before they come up a really good example would obviously be in like statutory compliance if you if, you know if your teams are are struggling to fulfill their obligations you're in real real trouble if you find that out too late there are other examples within sort of uh, technical projects and things like that which are slightly less dramatic um but yeah so my my cliched advice courtesy of bob is to always poke those dragons and make sure you get them to breathe the fire before um they burn your house down Great cliche cat as always. And thank you to our guests, Andrew and Hans, for joining us on this episode. And to you, our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to stay up to date with the Recast team and upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram at recast.pod. And if you would like to be a guest on another episode, or if you've got any comments, or if you know why toothpaste is not in hotels, please do tweet me at remitcat. Cat.